Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters on this Tuesday, June 20th in the year of our Lord 2017. We're coming to you live from the KFU studios here in Kirkwood, Missouri, St. Louis County, the headquarters, uh, the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. If you want to find out more about our congregation, you can go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. So uh, we're looking through the Lutheran Confessions on this program, the Book of Concord, thus the name Concord Matters. Uh, It is what our churches believe, teach, and confess on the basis of God's holy word and what is important for your salvation. We are the messenger of good news worldwide, KFUO. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, an article, a section on love and fulfilling the law and justification through faith. So uh, if you have any comments or questions that you'd like to participate in our program today, you're certainly welcome to do that. We have a toll-free number all across North America. That number is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. And then locally here in St. Louis, the phone number is area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also send us your comments or questions by email. That email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. I'm the host of this program and a rotating uh, series of hosts. I was uh, supposed to be here one month ago for the third Tuesday in May, and due to schedule conflicts, I couldn't make it. So I want to thank our uh, frequent guest on the program, Sean Smith, for filling in for me last month. And by the way, we want to send our congratulations to Pastor Smith, who is a married man as of this past weekend. He flew out to Wyoming and uh, married his lovely bride, Heather, and soon will be uh, coming back to southern Illinois to be a pastor there. So thank you, Sean Smith. Our guests in studio today are both uh, familiar friends, and they are Paul Langraff and Warren Wirth. Uh, welcome both of you, brother pastors. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Langraff, tell us about where you serve. Uh, congregations, two congregations west of here, about an hour. In Drake, Missouri, there's St. John Lutheran Church, and in Freedom, Missouri, there's Pilgrim Lutheran Church. And can people find anything more about that on Facebook or somewhere else on the internet. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting up to the twenty uh, first century. Yeah, <laughs> we we're getting websites. Both congregations are getting websites up this year. So that's okay, great. very good. And uh, what time are worship services on Sunday at each place? So at eight thirty at St. John Lutheran Church Drake, and then ten thirty 
at Pilgrim Lutheran Church in Freedom. Very good. Glad to have you here. Uh, and our other guest, a very familiar voice here on the airwaves of KFUO, and that is Pastor Warren Worth. Welcome, Warren. Thank you. Glad to be with you once and, again. And you serve where? At Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold. Arnold, an immediate uh, suburb to the south of St. Louis. That is correct. And uh, how can people find out more about Good Shepherd Lutheran Church? Our website is goodshepherdarnold.org. Okay. And what is your Sunday schedule? Uh, worship is at 9 a.m. Sunday school and Bible class are at 10.30. Very good, very good. All right, so gentlemen, we're glad you're here today. And as I said at the open, uh, we're uh, in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And um, it just so happens that this coming Sunday uh, is June 25th, and it falls on a Sunday this year. Why would I make note of that, either one of you? Why... Do I mention especially June 25th? Well, that's when the Augsburg Confession had been first presented to Emperor Charles V. And uh, it's a big deal that uh, our Lutheran forefathers were willing to put their very lives at risk to say, this is what we believe, teach and confess on the basis of God's Word. And I know many churches, including mine at St. Matthew and Bonterre, we're going to be emphasizing the presentation of the Augsburg Confession uh, this coming Sunday. In some ways, it is as much a Reformation Day as uh, October 31st when Luther posted the 95 Theses in 1517, Maybe 500 so. years ago. Maybe yeah. more and so in, in a ways. certain way, you could call it the birthday of the Lutheran Church. Exactly so. June 25th. Uh, Pastor Landgraf, how does the apology of the Augsburg Confession tie into the Augsburg Confession? Well, that's that's a good question because apology does not mean we did something wrong and have to apologize. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. Right. We were making a defense. It's Latin word to, to defend what we had just said in the Augsburg Confession, and they, they, the other church said this is a, they gave a confutation. The guys couldn't even read it. They had to go on, on just notes about it. But this is a, a very good defense of what we have in the, uh, in the Augsburg Confession itself. So the Augsburg Confession were a series of articles on different doctrinal topics, uh, like three quarters of them are ones where we're saying, the Lutherans were saying, uh, don't misjudge us. We're just teaching what the church has always taught. They, these should not be so controversial. We've only made a few reforms in some practices where the gospel required that. And that's like the last um, seven or eight articles about reforms on penance and uh, the sacrifice of the mass and so on and so forth. What did they discover after the Roman Catholic confutation what did they discover was the underlying issue um, affecting all these practices that then gets such great attention, lengthy attention, in the apology, Pastor Worth? Well, ultimately, it is the doctrine of justification, you know, and, okay. and how are we made right with God? Uh, so and, that, that's what we mean by justification, right? How we're made right with God. Exactly. Justification, forgiveness of sins, being declared right by God. And when God, the Holy Judge, looks at you, does he say you're okay or not okay? And if he says you're okay, on what basis is that judgment made? Is it based on how good you are, how much love you have, how, how hard you've tried? Uh, or is it pure grace, his love, and the merits of Christ, who was perfect for you? And Pastor Worth, you've just stolen the thunder of the next 50 minutes. You just <laughs> summarized everything we're going to talk about there in one 
eloquent uh, <laughs> mini paragraph. Very good. Okay. Well, we'll talk more about that. Yes. Let's unpack that. We'll <laughs> we unpack will that. unpack that. But that's our introduction, really, a very fine introduction of what is at issue. What they saw was the problem. It wasn't just a surface reform here and there, but it was this one and what's the importance of justification by faith, Pastor Langreff? Well, that's that's eternity. That's that's everything. It's it's either it's either God saving you or you try and save yourself. There's there's basically two choices. And this is why we call it the article on which the church either stands or falls, and the central article of the Christian faith. So it's underlying everything that goes on in the church, and when that's off, everything else gets off a kilter. Yeah, and that's what they were discovering with the reforms, is uh, this was the underlying problem, and frankly, is still the problem uh, with confessional Lutheranism over against the uh, religion of the Pope, the Roman Catholic uh, Church. All right, so so that's why I think it's important for us to be observing and celebrating the presentation of the Augsburg Confession this Sunday, as many of our churches will, will do. All right, let's get into this here. We're in Article 5. We're looking at the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, uh, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, this edition. Some of you may have the Tappert edition. Some of you may have the Kolb-Wengert edition. And there could be some difference in the the, uh, numbering of the paragraphs because this Article 5 in the reader's edition Uh, sometimes is considered an extension, a continuation of Article 4 on justification. In the reader's edition, uh, this this article is called Love and Fulfilling the Law, and uh, under that numbering system, we're at paragraph, starting with paragraph 51, if if you are in an edition that just uses it as a continuation of the previous article, I believe it would be Article it would be paragraph 172. Pastor Landgraf, you have the Cole Wengert edition here. Uh, what paragraph do they mark that as? Well, there's uh, several paragraphs that are additional, but it, it, the last numbering from the from the old system was 179. Okay. So just it's the section here that starts with a quote from St. Augustine, and in the reader's edition, it's a section with a bracketed subheading, of Church Fathers and St. Paul affirm justification through faith. Now, when we talk about the Church Fathers, uh, Pastor Langreff, what are we talking about with Church Fathers? Well, when people who came before us in the Church, uh, there's, there's uh, that certain period, the, mainly the early church, of those that are respected and that we have the record of what they said. Like the first four or five centuries. Right. We, we're going to have Jerome and Augustine okay. uh, talk about them, and, and they're, they're pretty good. Um, of course, uh, the, some things they said well, we could put yeah, to the side, yeah. but, but uh, both are, are really good and and. This is this is helpful. Yeah, we're going to get at to why we're going to get at, in a moment. We'll get at why uh, the apology, of the Augsburg Confession, bothers quoting these two guys in particular, Augustine and Jerome. Why? Who were they? Why were they so important? And why does the author of the apology, Philip Melanchthon, feel it important to quote these guys? But first, we're going to get at what they what they say here. So, paragraph fifty one. <clears throat> 
Augustine well says, all God's commandments are fulfilled when whatever is not done is forgiven. Therefore, he requires faith even in good works. He says this to show that we may believe we please God for Christ's sake, and even our works are not worthy and pleasing of themselves. First of all, gentlemen, who is this fellow Augustine? He gets mentioned a lot. I mean, he's a towering figure in the history of the church. Pastor Worth, can you give our listeners just an idea of when this fellow Augustine lived and why he's considered so important? Okay, Augustine lived uh, from like, what, 354 uh, AD to the early to mid 400s. Yeah, roughly around the year 400, give or take, on either side. And uh, he became, in his life, the Bishop of Hippo, which is in North Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was a hipster. He was <laughs> a hippie. <laughs> and But yeah, and his early life was kind of like a hippie. He had lived kind of a wild and crazy yeah, he life was. for a while. The and, free and, love and everything. And, and gotten kind of wild and crazy. And then when he was being brought back to Christianity, he got also in some cult-like things too, the Manichaeism and so mm -hmm. forth for a while. But by the grace of God, and I think it was through the ministry of Ambrose. St. Ambrose of Milan. Uh, well, I think helped, baptized him. Yeah, right. Got him straightened out and on the right path. And, and uh, as he grew in grace and in the knowledge of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through studying scriptures. He was a bright fellow. He was very bright and became very mighty in the scriptures and, and a leader in the church as, and, and as we said, Bishop uh, at Hippo and um, was instrumental particularly in arguments against certain heretics especially Pelagius and trying to bring the church uh, back to a clear understanding that, uh, of, first of all, on the one hand, sin and, and depravity, original sin and so forth, and that we are not, uh, it's not a clean slate when we're born. I mean, we're not mm -hmm. just uh, mm -hmm. indifferent. I mean, we are evil and in need of God's grace to be mm -hmm. saved. And so the whole idea of salvation by grace, I think, comes up more clearly uh, in his later teachings than had been the case for some time. I would have to say that in the whole history of the Christian church, in the era between the New Testament and St. Paul, let's say, up till the time of Martin Luther, the most significant influential theologian would be St. Augustine. Indeed. and For good should, or for ill. And we should remember that Luther was an Augustinian monk, yeah. too. And so that is something to bear in mind. Okay, now as to what he says here... Uh, all God's commandments are fulfilled when whenever is whatever is not done is forgiven. Uh, why does Melanchthon quote Augustine in this way? What is the point at issue, Pastor Landgraf? Well, they're, they're looking at good works, that aspect of good works. And the previous section was no one can, keeping the, can keep the law uh, perfectly. So we're, when we focus on good works, you can always see that there's... There's, uh, they're imperfect, so they also need to be forgiven. That's that's why they're why they're good. It's not because you do something good, because it's it's forgiven. So even our good works still need some forgiveness, huh? Absolutely. You know, it's only by the grace of God in Christ that our uh, good works are an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But that's not what Rome was teaching. And that's, see, that's the back and forth tug of war that's going on here, yeah. because Rome was teaching this idea that even before we're brought to faith, we can begin to please God. Mm -hmm. And that contributes in some measure to our salvation, that that this incipient beginning of the keeping the keeping of the law and that we can love God and begin to obey the commandments apart from 
uh, salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ. And alone. if you do what is within you, then God is going to reward you with a shot of grace to help you keep going, and maybe you'll get in someday with maybe the assistance of some indulgences or the merits of the saints or something like that. And that's exactly the thing that uh, Melanchthon and the Lutherans were fighting against and saying, no, 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 you, you can never be sure of your salvation that way. Mm-hmm. Because as Paul said, your, your works are imperfect yeah. and your conscience will always accuse you. You know, even when I do a good work, something that even as a Christian, people would say, oh, that's a good work. Like when I preach a sermon, you know, I'm doing it because I'm, I want to preach the gospel. That's a good thing. But maybe I kind of like it when the people say, oh, that was a great pa- sermon, Pastor. You know, my ego gets a little bit of a boost or, uh, well, I better do it because I got to get my paycheck or something like that. Are we, we can, It's the matter of mixed motives, even when we're doing something pretty good. Have you ever experienced that, either one of you? Certainly, oh, yes. we always do. <laughs> Everyone, we, we mixed motives, whatever you're doing, whether it's preaching the sermon, loving your wife, being a father to your children, uh, we're imperfect that way. And not only in terms of the motives, but also the actual way p- we perform, if you want to use that terminology. We don't maybe do it as well as we could have, or as soon as we could have, or as completely as we could have. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. So uh, even our good works need forgiveness. First we, first, we need that. So Melanchthon is arguing that even with good works, we need... So, so if we need forgiveness, therefore we need... What's his point? Jesus. Well, we need, yeah, Jesus was going to say, say, faith. He's getting at the importance of faith. And faith is faith in Jesus. That's what he's getting at. So you don't get forgiveness. You don't get Jesus without faith. Um, so, So that's the argument in this section, that it is justification through faith. And this faith itself is not a meritorious work that we do. It's simply trusting in Jesus' meritorious work. All right, so another quote here, paragraph 52, Jerome against the Pelagians says, and here's the quote, then we are righteous when we confess that we are sinners and that our righteousness stands not in our own merit, but in God's mercy. Now, this is a strange thing to say, Pastor Langreff. We are righteous when we confess that we are sinners. Right, that sounds right. like the exact opposite. Right, right. And and there are a lot of opposites in in the Bible, isn't there? But just that line is just great. But but you, you understand the context, of course. Mm-hmm. We're righteous when we're sinners, and God does something for us. It's uh, not our merit. It's his mercy mm-hmm, that yeah. uh, makes us righteous. And again, who is this Jerome and the Pelagians? Can you just give me a... Little brief answer on that. Just uh, about the same time as as Augustine. So Jerome know. is on the right side of this right. against these heretics, the right. Pelagians. He might be uh, might be turned on the left side of the of the Mediterranean, though he yeah. he settled in, <laughs> in, in Bethlehem. Yeah, and uh, wrote the Vulgate, which yeah. is very familiar. Vulgar language was translating uh, the Bible into Latin. Right, right, which is uh, yeah. which was huge in that day. But what course. were the you, you've mentioned Pelagians? You've mentioned Pelagians. Who were the who was Pelagius, and what was his error? Well, he was a heretic who, and again, part of the. At the heart of it was this idea that uh, we're not born depraved and, and entirely sinful. It's, it's more like you're starting out with a blank slate, and you can be okay, and you can decide for God. You have free will. And it's possible for you, 
to kind of work your way into God's favor? Absolutely. And so there are various degrees of that. Semi-Pelagian would be like, well, I need some of God's help. But uh, out full-blown Pelagianism is like, you know, you really don't need Christ even. You know, you can pretty much do it yourself. Yeah. And and so this idea that uh, it, it, it absolutely opposes grace. So it's, it throws us back to basically the pagan idea of salvation by works. Now, I suppose if they, it's hard to not mention Jesus, but then you make Jesus into either a life coach or an example, sure, and his moral teachings rather than your savior. Correct. Yeah. So the the idea of atoning sacrifice and substitutionary atonement is certainly downplayed or even denied. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, as you said, Jesus is the new lawgiver, and I, all I have to do is do whatever Jesus says I should do, and I can do that. I'm able to do that, and therefore just try harder. Now, are, do you think there are any churches around today, and not even talking about the Roman Catholic Church, where that's kind of the impression you get if you went to one of their services? Well, you could uh, some sort of non-denominational or yeah. a church where you you go away with the f- three things or five Steps things to, to follow, do. and it just after a while it gets old. It, it yeah. must, and uh, they kind of maybe assume and don't even talk much about. Jesus, the bloody Savior, dying for your sins, so you're right with God. And and it comes back to law and gospel go together. So if you're not really going to want to preach about law in the sense of accusatory law and that you are guilty, but instead law is something you can do this and just try harder, do this, and here's some steps to do How it. How to have a successful life. Then, then the the life of Christ and the, certainly the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ lose their meaning. You know, who needs a bloody savior if you can save yourself, if you're, if you're really not that bad. Yeah. And that's yeah. something you'll find throughout this section when it talks about our consciences terrified. A few lines later, we'll get to this, where it says, uh, the sight of our impurity terrifies us. If your sins don't terrify you, I don't think many people are terrified today of their sins. And so who who needs to flee? It was a problem for Luther in his day. It certainly But was. I don't hear much people talking that way in our culture. So if the law doesn't terrify us, and I think, well, that's not so bad. I can do that. Then who needs a savior to, to rescue you from what the law condemns you for? You, you know? need a therapist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or a life coach, right? Indeed. Yeah. All right. So thank you for that. Uh, Let's move on here. Uh, Paragraph 53. Therefore, when starting to fulfill the law, faith ought to be present, which certainly believes that we have a reconciled God for Christ's sake. For mercy cannot be received except through faith, as has been repeatedly said above. Um, Let's see. I think I'll go on to paragraph 54 also. Paul says in Romans 3.31, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Here's what we ought to understand. People regenerated through faith not only receive the Holy Spirit and have motives that agree with God's law, but we ought also to realize that they are far distant from the law's perfection. Uh, This point has the greatest importance by far, and we must add it, to the argument also. All right, a couple of questions here. Um, what is this? He's been talking about fulfilling the law, all right? And he's saying that we're starting to fulfill the law. Why do we need faith? What is the relationship between the law, fulfilling the law, and faith? Can we start to fulfill the law without 
faith? Uh, what? Why? Why do we need faith? Either one of you. Okay. Well, that whole point he's making is that whereas Rome was saying you can begin to fulfill the law without faith, the scriptures say the opposite. That apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Apart from faith, you know, we're accused by God's law, and therefore we flee from God, and we even hate God uh, because God is angry with us, and so we're angry at Him and cannot love God from the heart. And so one of the points that had been made in the previous section was that it's one thing to talk about civil works. You know, there are certain, you know, I if I don't murder somebody, okay, didn't I keep the law there? But go back to the beginning of the law, the first table of the law, that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This we cannot do without faith. And and that faith, as you've already said, needs to be worked in us by God, the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, that message of God's mercy, the promise of the forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus did for us. Mm -hmm. Apart from knowing God as a loving and forgiving God, we flee from him, we hate him, and we can't really obey God from the heart, even if we can do some outward things that don't seem that bad. But if we're Christians, uh, shouldn't we be striving for perfection? Uh, it says here, he says that we are far dis- dif- distant from the law's perfection. I would think there are some churches that teach, if you're a really good Christian, you can become perfect in your holiness. Well, isn't that what the the Methodist is based on? You have a method? The old Methodists. The, the, yeah. yeah. I don't know the Methodist today well, actually teach that. But. Probably different. But uh, get a person and they're, they're optimistic about themselves and they get a great life coach, like you were saying, and, and they can they can get pretty close if, if not there. This perfectionist tendency among certain holiness groups yeah. who think, you know, why, you know, I could probably go five days without sinning. And if I sin, I thought, well, that's... <laughs> if you go five really... days, try for six. <laughs> and again, it's possible to do that as long as you don't let the law get too specific. And, you know, the longer a person is in that kind of a religion, the more you're going to get burned out. Because the harder you try to be perfect, the more you realize you can't be perfect, and the more you're going to feel like a failure and a hypocrite. Particularly when you look around at the others in your church. Maybe your preacher looks to you like he has yeah. actually achieved perfection. He's got the perfect marriage and the perfect family, and he's a perfect preacher and the perfect life. And then I look at myself when I look in the mirror and I say, I'm such a failure. I'm a loser. I don't live up to these standards, but I have to pretend that I'm okay. So when I go to church, I'm pretending all the while that my conscience is accusing me. So the law that the preacher's preaching maybe isn't, he's not trying to help me see my guilt and my need for my Savior, but the law, when it does its work, still shows me that I'm a sinner so that eventually it does terrify me, whether I want to admit it or not. You know, it's no secret. I've said before, I was involved in the charismatic movement in the late 1970s and into the up to the mid 80s and one effect of that was uh, that I felt a lot of pressure like I didn't measure up like I was some sort of second-class Christian and that can be the effect of that I believe uh, Mark we're coming up on a break here let's take our break and we'll be back here in a minute on Concord Matters Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast 
at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Why do Martin Luther's table prayers consist almost entirely of quotations from the Psalms? We'll find out Tuesday on Issues Etc. as we begin a series with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller on Luther's prayers. We'll also get a Washington update from Tim Gagline. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Human trafficking is modern day slavery and it happens in our own communities. Victims can be any gender, age, or race. Join the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign to learn how to recognize and report this heinous crime. Visit our website at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. That's www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. Your second look could be their second chance. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day, radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now, that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Marilyn Robinson's Gilead. John Steinbeck's East of Eden. William Faulkner's Absalom, Absalom. The tip of the iceberg of the Bible's influence on literature. Northrop Fry, an influential literary scholar of the second half of the 20th century, wrote, The Bible should be taught so early and so thoroughly that it sinks straight to the bottom of the mind, where everything that comes along later can settle on it. George Lindbeck, former professor of theology at Yale University, observed, There was a time when every educated person, no matter how professedly unbelieving or secular, knew the actual text from Genesis to Revelation. Marilyn Robinson, Pulitzer Prize-winning author, wrote, The Bible is the model for and subject of more art and thought than those of us who live within its influence consciously or unconsciously will ever know. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We are back on Concord Matters. I'm your host for this program, Pastor Charles Henriksen. And we have two fellow pastors in the studio here with us today, Paul Langraff and Warren Worth. We are discussing the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 5, Love and Fulfilling the Law. And uh, we're in the Reader's Edition numbering system. So uh, we left off at paragraph uh, 54, so we'll pick it up now at paragraph 55 and read 55, 56, and 57 as follows. We cannot conclude that we are counted righteous before God because of our fulfilling of the law. Justification must be sought elsewhere in order that the conscience may become peaceful. For we are not righteous before God as long as we flee from God's judgment and are angry with God. Therefore, we must conclude that we are counted righteous for Christ's sake, being reconciled through faith. 
This is not because of the law or our works. Because of faith beginning to fulfill the law uh, pleases God. Because of faith, there is no charge that we fulfill the law imperfectly, even though the sight of our impurity terrifies us. If justification is to be sought elsewhere, our love and works do not justify. Christ's death and resurrection, Christ's death and satisfaction, Christ's death and satisfaction ought to be placed far above our purity, far above the law itself. This truth ought to be set before us so that we can be sure of this. We have a gracious God because of Christ's satisfaction and not because of our fulfilling the law. So, gentlemen, where is our righteousness found and where is our righteousness not to be found? Pastor Langraff. Well, there's there's that very stark con- contrast in this text where if we look in ourselves, if we look somewhere else than, than Jesus, then uh, we have that, that conscience that, that Warren was talking about earlier, uh, the, the, the hurting conscience. Uh, it's just, it's, there's no peace uh, in that situation. Pastor Worth. And by contrast, then, to complete that thought is when we look to Jesus, we will find that perfect righteousness that gives the conscience peace. And that's that's exactly what, what the point he's making here is that since our works are always going to be imperfect, uh, the conscience will accuse us because the law will accuse us. But when we look to Jesus, who has fulfilled the law and that for is faith. us, that is faith. That's faith, right? Faith, looking to Jesus in faith, trusting in Him, believing that He fulfilled the law perfectly for us, His act of obedience, and that also then He sacrificed Himself on the cross. That's His passive obedience, where He has thus made satisfaction. Satisfaction. What is meant here by satisfaction? To make up for our sins, to atone for our sins, to satisfy the. Uh, righteousness, uh, the righteous anger of God against our sinfulness by making up for our sins, by his perfect life, his suffering and death and resurrection in our place, and thus uh, making expiation for our sins uh, so that we are, so the anger of God is satisfied and God is rendered to be gracious to us and is reconciled to us uh, and we to him through the forgiveness of our sins. You know, I think of this word satisfy, I think of the Latin word satis, which means enough, and um, when is it ever enough? You know, uh, if we try to become right with God through our works of the law, the law will always say it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. But Pastor Langraff, when we look to Jesus, right, what, what right. do we hear? It's, it's, a, it's a whole different thing. It's Jesus for us. Like you said, it's not a, a coach or a cheerleader or a helper. He's he rescued. It's more than enough. And from the cross, he cries out, it is finished. finished and certainly right. his resurrection is God the Father saying, yes, it is finished. It is enough at last. Pastor Langraff and I were classmates at seminary, and one of our most influential professors was Dr. Norman Nagel. And I can just hear Dr. Nagel saying, uh, it's the whole lot and always more. Right, right, Paul? Oh, yeah. A whole lot and always more. Right. (laughs) More than enough. That's Christ's satisfaction for you, dear listener. He's done it all for you. More than enough. All right. Paragraph 58. Paul teaches this in Galatians 3.13 when he says, 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This means that the law condemns all people, but Christ, without sin, has borne the punishment of sin. He has been made a victim for us and has removed that right of the law to accuse and condemn those who believe in him. He himself is the atonement for them. For his sake, they are now counted righteous. Um, Since they are counted righteous, the law cannot accuse or condemn them, even though they have not actually satisfied the law. Paul, what does this mean here about the law accusing us? What is oh. this accusing function of the law? Right, right. And and that's that's a, a, a huge distinction with the Lutheran Church, where where it's said in other parts of the Book of Concord, but that, that the chief purpose of the law is to show us our sin. Well, that's a, he, they get that from Romans chapter 3, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right, they yeah. should get it from there, shouldn't they? <laughs> Uh, but so often you, you give people the Ten Commandments or something like that and say, okay, if I try hard enough, I, um, I won't break the... All I these I live. have done since I was young, said the rich young ruler. Right, right. I must be still lacking something, though. So it's, it's, no, it's no surprise that, that Luther said their meanings by, you should fear and love God. And we don't do that as we should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so um, this is the, the accusing function of the law in our teaching we always we often compare to a mirror that uh, we look in to see our sins uh, to show us our sins which then empties us strips away our self-righteousness so then we're ready to hear about a righteousness outside of ourselves that comes to us as a gift through christ so we need that mirror accusing function to uh so we don't ever get haughty and think we can make it on our own all right continuing then in paragraph 58. uh, uh, Well, actually, we didn't finish 58. Uh, Paul writes the same way to the Colossians. You have been filled in him, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. This is like saying, although you are still far from the perfection of the law, the remnants of sin do not condemn you. For Christ's sake, we have a sure and firm reconciliation if you believe, even though sin dwells in your flesh. Uh, Pastor Worth, this is kind of the positive flip side of uh, the curse. In the first part of this paragraph, he talked about the curse from which we have been redeemed, and now he's talking about you are filled in him. What is the, what's... Well, the curse would take us clear back to Genesis, wouldn't it? You know, when yeah. God said, thou shalt not eat of this tree, and the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, the and curse so, of death. The curse of death, absolutely. So when you break the law, you deserve death and damnation. Eternal separation from God. That's the curse. And the blessing here, you know, and Paul goes on to say in Galatians that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So Jesus, who fulfilled the law perfectly, offered up his perfect life in our stead as the atoning sacrifice to to redeem us, to buy us back from the curse of the law. So he set us free from that curse. That's the meaning to be redeemed exactly. by payment. Exactly. So his payment was not gold or silver, but his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering death so that we might be redeemed, bought back, rescued from the curse and instead receive the blessing that we don't deserve, mm-hmm. but that he deserved for us. So now instead of being cursed, we're blessed by God. Instead of death and damnation, we have life and salvation so as a gift. It's the removal of the negative and the filling of the positive. It says you are you have been filled in him. That's filled with righteousness, filled with life. Um, 
and all these good things. It's Paul, you the, want to add something? The verb also talks about being made complete. Yeah. Being, uh, it's the the word that you have an Old Testament prediction and, and it being fulfilled. fulfilled. Uh, it's just, everything's fine now. You know, because in Colossians, uh, there was this group that was saying about the pleroma, the fullness, and that you weren't quite filled if you didn't have this knowledge and so forth. So he's saying you are filled in him. You're not lacking. All right. Very good. Now we move on to paragraph 59. And believe it or not, brothers, I'm thinking we might even get to paragraph 61 today, which was my original destination. You mock, you laugh, you smile, (laughs) but let's just see if we can do it. All right. (laughs) Uh, Paragraph 59. The promise should always be in sight. Because of his promise, God wishes to be gracious and to justify for Christ's sake, not because of the law or our works. In this promise, timid consciences consciences should seek reconciliation and justification. By this promise, they should sustain themselves and be confident that they have a gracious God for Christ's sake because of his promise. So works can never make a conscience peaceful. What's the difference here pastorally for your parishioners between works and promise? Pastor Worth. Well, if it's a promise, then it's not works, and if it's works, it's not promise. Promise points us away from ourselves and to the gift that has been uh, fully purchased for us by the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so if it's promise, then that does bring peace and, and comfort, because the promise, it's always the promised mercy. It's always the promise of the forgiveness of sins. It's always a promise of God's grace. Where does this promise grace. rest? It rests in Christ, who fulfilled all that God originally promised already in the Old Testament. When we sinned, God promised the coming of a Savior. And as Paul recently said here, Christ fulfilled all of that, and he did accomplish all that God promised that he would do. And now the promise that comes to us is is the result of his completed work. Pastor Langreff, why is the fact that um, the promise rests outside of ourselves, how does that actually, is that better for our conscience? Well, that's that's a great question because you you can you see how promises work, don't you, in, in this world? And I was just thinking of my my youngest daughter when she has the trust fall, and I'm I'm I I say it to her every time I'm going to catch you, <laughs> and, and then she falls back into my arms, and and you hear, and you father, even though you are evil, how much more will your <laughs> heavenly father catch you when you fall? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, just hearing that she she could use a, a repeating of that promise every time that she she falls back to, that these are words from a from a caring loving father to uh, his his sinful children on earth. And notice the concern here in this heavy doctrinal essay, if you will, the concern this pastoral concern mm-hmm. for the Christian's conscience. We see this over and over in the Lutheran confessions that this teaching alone gives uh, all the glory to Christ and gives true comfort to terrified consciences. It's a refrain throughout. It is, and that's what our Lord Jesus himself says again and again. Think of the the Good, chap, good Shepherd chapter where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. Um, they follow me. I give them eternal life. No one will pluck them out of my hand. No, they will never perish. You know, he piles on the promises, mm-hmm. and that's what you, you can hang on to, that faith trusts that promise. And that's outside of us. 
Absolutely. And that's, that makes it reliable. If I have to look at my own works, which are kind of up and down, and a lot of times down, uh, maybe when it's good, when I'm going good, I say, well, I'm a pretty good Christian, and God must be pleased with me. But sometimes when I fail, when I know I shouldn't, then my conscience really bothers me. And in the hour of death, what are, what will you cling to in, when, you, when you're facing death? How can I be sure that I'm right with God? Because Jesus did it all. It mm-hmm. is finished, and he is risen. Hallelujah. You can Hallelujah. be sure. Very good. All right, paragraph um, 60. And let's see. I want to maybe go halfway through paragraph 60 here and pause. If justification and peace of conscience must be sought in something other than love and works, then uh, love and works do not justify. This is true even though they are virtues and belong to the righteousness of the law insofar as they are a fulfilling of the law. Let me ask you, gentlemen, this. Are we Lutherans against the law? Are we against love? Are we against good works? Sometimes we're accused of that. Of course not. And that, But that's what they were accused of by the Roman uh theologians at the time. That mm-hmm. was the whole thing. So they had to say again and again and again, no, no, do not misunderstand us. We're not against good works or love. But you Don't have put to, the cart before the horse. Exactly. The whole point is you have to be clear that love and good works do not contribute to our salvation. They are the result of having received salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Once the Holy Spirit is at work in you, yes, then you're born again. Works will follow. Paul, you want to add anything to that? Well, I, I was just thinking of uh, that the way that 59 starts, the promise should always be in sight, where where these words, these comforting words should be in sight, not I got to do better, not uh, the law. But Jesus saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And well, that's I will a command, but it's very comforting, isn't it? Well, it's an invitation. <laughs> right. It's a command in the way of being invited to something wonderful. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I will, if you're labored and heavy laden with, with uh, I'll give you demands, rest. I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. So we are not against these virtues of the law. In fact, the Holy Spirit, as it said earlier, the Holy Spirit is going to agree with the law and uh, uh, what the law would have us do to love God and love our neighbor, the Holy Spirit will produce those good fruit in our lives. So we're not against that. Sometimes, I think sometimes some Lutherans, in their effort to say we're not saved by our works, go too far in the other direction and say we can never do any good works. I don't know if you've ever observed that, Pastor Worth. Yes, and that's a danger even for the Lutheran pastor to to preach the gospel in such a way that it's and preach law and gospel in such a way that it sounds as though we can never do anything pleasing to God. So we deny the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit, or even to make it sound virtuous to be a bad boy. Mm-hmm. So I should sin more that grace may abound. <laughs> but he, Paul himself addresses that in Romans yeah. six and says, "By no means, don't or, you know or, we died or, to or sin?" Or these sections in Paul's epistles, or Peter's, or John's, where it exhorts the Christian congregation, the people, to do good works. And it's sort of like this is some trick that Paul is playing. And, you know, yeah, he says we should love one another, forgive one another. But, of course, we can never do that. And it's sort of, it's only in there as a, a thing never to be preached, and it's kind of a trick. But I don't agree with that. No, but at, at, while, we, while we preach the uh, exhortations there, we always will point out that we are imperfect, which we've said mm-hmm. again and again here. Mm-hmm. 
and we don't put our trust in our own works for salvation, and yet it is our desire, the new you. That the Holy Spirit will resonate with this stuff. Exactly. So you were saved from sin for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. That's what salvation by grace is all about, that he saved you for this. And your baptism is all about that too, Mm -hmm. isn't it? That you died to sin and have been raised to live a new life by God's power to God's glory. And every day as you remember your baptism, God continues that work in you that you can live as a child of God. That's who you are now. You are a child of God because you are baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, baptized into his resurrection to walk in newness of life. Okay, I promised. I made a promise. We're talking about promise. I promised we're going to try to get through. We're going to get through (laughs) paragraph 61, so let's do this. All right, the rest of paragraph 60. um, Obedience to the law justifies by the righteousness of the law if a person fulfills it. But imperfect righteousness of the law is not accepted by God unless it is accepted because of faith. So legal righteousness does not justify. That is, it neither reconciles nor regenerates, nor by itself makes us acceptable before God. Pastor Landgraf, theoretically, would it be possible for you to be righteous with God by your works? Theoretically. Theoretically, well? If you, there's an if here. Oh, man. (laughs) That would be tough. Uh, theoretically, I, I don't think theoretically. I'm what sorry. do you think, Warren? Well, What's the, I think, if? I'm getting at the if here. Th- that's the very point that he's making here. You know, that, that the whole point is that, you know, the law justifies by the righteousness of the law if a person fulfills it. So, yeah, if I truly could oh. keep all the law and if I had not been conceived and born in sin, so I'm already yeah. on the odds with God okay. by original sin. Yeah, sure. I could be if. saved by the law <laughs> if I were perfect. But that's if it's if, only if, a if. hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, right. I was born right. in sin, so I don't fulfill the first if. And I never am perfect by keeping the law perfectly. So right. I don't, I don't want to hang my salvation on an if. Right. I want to hang my salvation amen. on an amen, that Christ is the amen to all of God's promises. All right, and uh, speaking again of promise, our promise is to get through paragraph 61, which we will now read. From this, it is clear that we are justified before God through faith alone. Through faith alone, we receive forgiveness of sins and reconciliation, because reconciliation or justification is a matter promised for Christ's sake, not for the law's sake. Therefore, it is received through faith alone, although when the Holy Spirit is given, uh, the fulfilling of the law follows. Now, how many alones do you spot in this paragraph? Well, there's several, and uh, there are a lot of promises in that previous paragraph. Yeah. Uh, but here we see, I'm looking at this translation, it says, We're justified before God through faith alone. Through faith alone, we receive forgiveness. Uh, Let's see here. Therefore, it is received through faith alone. Three times. And then also, even when it says not for the law's sake, that's kind of another way of saying the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And notice, to be very clear in theology, we state one thing and we say, this is what it is and this is what it isn't. That's how you do clear theology, Mm -hmm. not by making everything so vague everybody can go under the same yeah. umbrella. And and talking about faith, when you when you just start focusing on faith itself and start thinking of it as your work, mm-hmm. then you can get go the wrong way too, can't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and but in the context here when it talks about faith, faith alone, that's 
basically talking about what you talked about before, Jesus. Yeah, and it's Romans chapter 3. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And that's where Luther took his pen and did what? He wrote in the word alone. Sola. So people have to understand, though, that that wasn't improper. Basically, he was simply, it's like commentary saying, get this Right. Understand what the Holy Spirit is saying here. When he says, without the works of the law, that means faith alone, not by works. So that it's really just underscoring what the Holy Spirit actually put there. So the word alone was not an improper addition. Because the opponents would say, yeah, we believe in faith or we believe in grace. And there it's sort of like grace plus your works. And it's sort of a combination. Jesus did his part. But now the decisive thing really is up to you. And when you read all that uh, the Holy Spirit has written through Paul and, and the other apostles when they say again and again, for example, to the Galatians, if it's grace, then it's no more works. If it's works, then it's no more grace. So there are plenty of these antitheses, as you were mm-hmm. pointing out before, that make it crystal clear that it, you know, it is faith alone and grace alone, not works, and that works do not in any way justify us, yet they are the fruit by which faith is known and are the evidence then that the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit has begun and is working in your heart, repentance, faith in Christ, and that new life to which he calls you. Mm -hmm. Very good. So we did actually get through today uh, what I hope to get through, paragraphs 51 through 61 here in uh, Article 5 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Are either of you gentlemen doing something with the presentation of the Augsburg Confession this Sunday in your service? Yes. What are you going to be doing? Well, I will be... <laughs> what am I going to be doing? You and I can have a conversation after we get off the air about, oh, about these But you work things. it into your sermon? And, oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're observing it as presentation of the Augsburg Confession. And the prayers for this week from the LCMS website uh, reference that uh, significantly. Very good. Very good. So I'm our hymns and so forth also will... will like, like Reformation Day, they will magnify the grace of God, and as that grace comes to us in the... Word, the inspired Word of God, which points us to the uh, Word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Very good. Our guests today were Pastors Paul Langraff and Warren Worth. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen. Uh, happy presentation of the Augsburg Confession to you all this Sunday. And uh, Concord Matters will be back again next week here on Worldwide KFUO. Mm-hmm.